welcome to devmode.fm. This is the first in a series of podcasts that we're doing called Devmode Standups, and it's just going to be myself, Andrew Welch, and Patrick Carrington just sort of bantering about the stuff we're working on, things we're thinking, that type of thing. And the other fun thing about this is that we're doing them live on YouTube. So if you're interested in catching the show live, where we're reading the chat, we're answering questions and all that kind of stuff, you can go to the devmode.fm website, go to the hamburger menu there and choose YouTube. And that will take you to our YouTube channel where you can subscribe and click the little notification bell or whatever so that when we go live, you'll be notified of it. And this is a format that we're we're trying out. It's on video. So bear with us and, uh, you know, there may be a few kinks along the way, but here we go. We're going to see how much of a disaster this is going to end up being, folks. <laughs> yeah, guys, we're, this is our first time. There's been no dress rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to be chatting. This is not in normal dev mode, as you'll see. Here we go. Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we are trying something new. We... <laughs> We are doing our first ever live, not only our first ever live broadcast, but our first ever video broadcast. And we had no end of uh, issues with things not working. The audio wasn't working right. Uh, we had all sorts of audio problems. My video, my good video camera is not working. So like Patrick, you said I'm on a, like a plebeian video link now? Yeah, one, one that the rest of us would purchase and be very happy with. You don't have your bokeh, so yeah. <laughs> Hey man, we need the bokeh, okay? But yeah, we decided to to try this out because it, we've kind of been wanting to do a video stream for a while just so anyone that wanted to watch when we're recording could watch. So we're trying it out from that perspective. And then Patrick, you and I had also talked about, you know, and we're going to continue to do podcasts where we have experts talking to us about stuff, but we also kind of wanted to do one where we're just kind of chatting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there are times where just kind of reach the, the depths of how many niche node technologies we can get into or web assemblies slow down for once. It can be fun. Just the, the two of us going back and forth. Some of my favorite episodes are the developer roundtables, uh, ones where we're not so much saying, talk about your technology on a podcast format for an hour and a half, but just kind of just talking shop or talking whatever. Yeah. So I'm excited for this. So what, what is it that is burning your bush right now, Patrick? <laughs> Other than... <laughs> civic life in america just falling apart yeah i mean there's there's that we can get more into at some point i want to talk about just staying focused and working when just stressed and anxious about everything going on mm-hmm. in america right now we'll get into that but yeah no it, it's been uh, been working for maybe the last six months on a pretty cool nuxt project you and i've talked i don't know if we've really talked about enough that much i think just tangentially on the podcast i absolutely love it like it, it I want to do every single project in Nuxt at this point. What do you love? What do you love about it? Well, it starts with Vue. I don't know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Take a step back. For anyone who's listening, just five seconds on what Nuxt is. Sure. Nuxt, similar to Next, it's a a front-end framework for, you can run it right on the server, have a node process running on your server to serve up an entire website off of it. You're writing in JavaScript in Node. You're using Vue for all of your templating. The nice thing about that, for anyone who's dipped their toes into Vue, one of my favorite things is being able to use the single file component. So you have a single file that encapsulates your your HTML, your JavaScript, your markup. You can throw it all in there and and know that you're not getting code sprawl all over the place. You're not having to jump. All right, here I'm in Twig, and now I'm going to pull code from Twig and pass that into Vue. And Mm. 
Then I've got a CSS file or a post CSS file over here. I've got my Webpack config that Andrew tells me will work and help me, but <laughs> it mystifies me. Like this, like does so much of that for you, unless you just instead of jumping from Twig to CSS to JavaScript to whatever, it lets you just live in Vue. And we're using it for statically generating sites. So not only are we building sites in it, but we're actually just spinning out old school HTML, CSS, and JavaScript that can then be thrown onto a CDN or, or anywhere else. Really neat. Your your brother. Brother-in-law Will has helped a good bit with some of the stuff around preview mode and making sure that Crafts preview mode works with it. It's really nice. We're having a note in the chat. Debugging Nuxt in production is a pain. Definitely interested to hear about that. We've found it to not be a huge issue. We have it running so that it rebuilds and we get a nice little message out of Buddy that if there is a break in the build, maybe our JavaScript is expecting you know a method or a field to be there. We'll get an email when that happens and it'll point us to what page is you know, giving us an issue and even what field or whatever it might be. And though usually track it out from there. So I've got a, a few comments. So a couple of things. So one, it's interesting to me because you're moving towards doing everything on the front end side, right? So you're kind of moving, everything is going to be in Vue.js and it's going to be all JavaScript on the front end. And mm -hmm. then we're also seeing people like Ben Croker that they're going the other way. They're like, you know what? I'm going to use less JavaScript. I'm going to make this thing called Sprig and all the real action is going to happen on the back end in Twig. Now, the interesting thing to me, from my perspective, is that you're both doing it for the same reason. And you're doing it because you want to have one source of truth for the data, for the model, for the view, and for all that kind of stuff, right? Is that, yeah. I mean, that's really kind of the big mental gain, isn't it? Yeah, the only thing I, I'd push back a little bit is that we're not, you know, trying to make a an SPA type thing that if your JavaScript is disabled, it will not run at all. That being said, we are still using Vue for all of our interactions and messaging between components. So the site experience would definitely be degraded if you weren't. But mm -hmm. when you click on a link, it's not like you're clicking on some span and there's some code that magically makes that into a link and it does the, all the routing on the client side. It is just spitting out HTML and CSS that you could zip up, throw on a server anywhere and disconnect a lot of it. And so I like where it's going because yeah, there's less that needs to be running in the back end. The back end could go down in flames and this site would keep on running with a couple of exceptions. You know, for search, for example, we're still hitting uh, craft. We built an endpoint to search craft for site search. Contact form is using it. There are a couple of things where it's still relying on a back end. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I don't like the full, if you turn off JavaScript, the site disappears mode. <laughs> I really like what Ben's doing. I like what Ben's doing with Sprig. My only issue has been all this context switching from post CSS to Twig to yeah. JavaScript to whatever else just puts a lot of your code is all over the place. I like what Sprig does that it's putting a lot of interactivity right into Twig. I haven't used it yet, but yeah, it's interesting. <sighs> I don't know. I think I definitely think it's a problem that needs to be solved because I run into situations where most of the time I'm using Vue for the interactive bits, but I'm server side rendering the other mm -hmm. stuff and and it works okay. You know, it works fine if that, but there always are, like you're saying, these edge cases where then you get a context switch and how do I get the data from Twig into Vue and how do I get the, the data from Vue into Twig? Some of this is just not going away because at least a percentage of the work that I'm doing is work in the CP, like for my plugins. And it's just, you know, it's just, sure. <laughs> just going to be a problem. Like it's just kind of the way that it is. My issue, well, so are you using Nuxt primarily as a static generator? Is that all you're using it for? Like you're just doing a static build and so you're kind of using it the way you used to use Gatsby? Exactly. Yeah, it's being used as a static build. We have okay. uh, web, web hooks running craft on entry save and a couple yeah. other... Uh, 
element saves that Every, fires off everyone that i've talked to that has done this has loved it in the beginning Until. and then they get it in the hands of the client and they found that the okay so there definitely is simplicity in having a static build that you just deploy somewhere that's wonderful the, and if you do it yep. with netlify or vericell then great that's something you don't have to manage but when you ha still have a CMS there, you still have all the DevOps that you need to manage the, the CMS. And then you have the infrastructure that you need to do whatever needs to happen to kick off the build and make the build happen. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, when the site gets to be any reasonable size, you end up having pissed off clients because the rebuild takes freaking forever. Yeah. Do you, have you run into that or is it you are you still kind of in the phase where you're just like, well, we think it's a good idea. Let's see how this actually works out. Because, you know, Tim is asking, is there a tipping point where the, the site is too big? And, and I'm, I'm not going to mention names, but there is a, a well-known person in the craft community that did a presentation at one of these conferences and was yep, talk, talking about a, a quick build time, you know, 15 minute build time to build the whole site. And I mm -hmm. remember going up to him after the, the show because I remember I was sitting next to somebody. I don't remember who it was. And I said, there's no way. There's no way that the site that big rebuilds in 15 minutes. There's zero chance that that's happening. And I went up and talked to him afterwards and he was just like, um, yeah, some of the developers that <laughs> I work with were just like, no, that's, that's not the case. So <laughs> have you reached a, a tipping point or are you not there yet? Right now we're looking at about, and we've actually throttled back Nuxt a little bit because it was hitting Craft with so many GraphQL calls that mm. Craft's control panel was getting really slow. That was an interesting thing we were seeing is it was just CPUs through the roof. And actually I have some thoughts about that. I think there's some changes coming for Craft 4. They're going to help quite a bit there. Mm -hmm. We have a couple hundred routes. Every page in, in Nuxt is a route. So we have a couple hundred pages and it takes about eight minutes for the build. Um, and that's with us throttling it back. Technically it could go faster. Right now we're seeing a little bit of a bottleneck in craft. It's something that is on Pixel and Tonic's radar, I think. I've been in GitHub about it. Essentially, every time you issue a GraphQL call to craft, it has to rebuild the entire GraphQL schema. And it's not able to cache that. So even though nothing has changed in your content model, it's having to do a pretty hefty little bit of PHP work to rebuild it. And I mean, it takes all of maybe 600 milliseconds. But once you start putting that up to however many elements on a page and whatever else is going on, maybe it's four or five GraphQLs to GraphQL calls to build a page, you can see that start to really stack up. They're, they have something I think in the pipes for Craft4 that is going to let them cache the GraphQL schema. And that I think is going to help quite a bit. That's where we've seen most of our bottleneck when we've done some analysis behind the scenes. We had, and I apologize, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but we have someone asking why, ben. for example, are we... Just call him oh, Ben. Okay. Is that Ben? <laughs> there we go. Why Nuxt over Gridsome? One of it is just the, the ecosystem around Nuxt seems to be a lot more active. Mm -hmm. Gridsome was on my radar first, and actually I was looking at it until Andrew, you, and Will Brower both said, take a look at Nuxt. Gridsome looks really cool, but my gut feeling is if Gridsome went under tomorrow, the world would move on. If Nuxt <laughs> did, there'd be a whole lot more people that would be like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? There's just a much larger install base, a lot more traction behind it. So right. I try to go with what I think is going to be supported more down the road. <laughs> oh my God. What's that? <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. You know how we did a new recording in Zencaster? I never hit record. <laughs> oh, of course you didn't. All right. Do you have your backup recording? Yeah. Well, no, not the normal one, but Zencaster, <laughs> or, or sorry, the other um, uh, eCam that we're using records. Okay. Or you can pull the audio off of YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So there are some projects that I've looked at considering using Nuxt 4. Mm -hmm. And. 
I played around with it a couple of years ago. And at the time when I played around with it, it just wasn't ready for me to actually be doing anything with it. Some of the the static generation options just weren't really great in terms of hydration. And they've re- they recently have, uh, I don't even remember what version is, but I know it's gotten better. I just haven't done anything with it since then. But one of the things that has stopped me is most of the sites that I have looked at considering using it for, there's been some component to it that it actually didn't make sense to use a static site for. Mm. And maybe there maybe there are ways around this, and I, I just don't know what it is. So one is for a simple, relatively simple site for a restaurant that I'm like, this is perfect. Like a restaurant site is the perfect thing because you really just want a page that you can load the directions and the menu, and then that's it. That's all you need. The problem is they also had used the back end quite a bit for scheduling. Eh, it's not too big of a deal, right? Because it's only a couple pages to regen. Mm-hmm. But they also used it to compose the menus. So it, it would do a PDF view of the menu and it would render that and then they would print it out. And then that's what would be in, in people's hands. And they had a new menu every day. So this isn't just like, a, you know, it's, it was kind of a fancy restaurant. So I would need a back end somewhere anyway to do this. And I'm just like, well, then what's the point? Essentially, right. But you're always going to need a back end. It's funny, you and I, I think we're talking about Keystone JS. And I'm like, oh my gosh, moving all the way into pure node cms and, and all mm-hmm. that that it'd be interesting i haven't seen the content authoring looks like and that's my biggest concern there but yeah some sort of a backend is going to be there regardless to me it's all about how much time are we going to spend in development context switching from twig to javascript to graphql queries and making that all happen and right now we worked on a project together last fall and there's just a lot of that piping in javascript into view and doing gross stuff in twig that is really gross and once you get it down to one nice tech stack with Nux. I've found it to be a much better experience. We typically are running on a cron job to rebuild the site like every half hour or something anyway. And then we use webhooks to get it even more instant when people make changes. Well, the, the gain is you don't have to worry about certain performance gotchas. So the site you're talking about, the problem there is certain things were done where it was <coughs> rendering stuff like the nav in view. And that's above the fold stuff that's going to block everything, right? Mm-hmm. So if you know this when you're building it out, you can build it in such a way that that's not going to be a problem. But if you build it with something like Nuxt, you just don't, you don't even have to know that, right? It's just going to work because it will server side render that nav and you don't have to know that, oh, this is something that's not going to appear until it hydrates and executes and and does all that fun stuff. And yeah, I get that there will need to be a backend, but look at it from my perspective where this is a, I think, I think it's a two page site for this, (laughs) for this restaurant. And I was thinking this is perfect for a static site because then I could honestly, the content authoring could be, we actually would not need a backend. The content authoring could be in Forrester or, or Forestry yeah. or any one of these other little CMSs because they, they don't they wouldn't have to do much with it except that they were doing all this custom menu PDF stuff. And because of that, it did need a backend. And then I'm just like, well, why would I why would I set up a whole build deployment pipeline if I'm already going to have this CMS here? Why don't I just stick it out there, put a fast CGI cache on it? It is basically the same as a static cache. It just moves where the caching is done. And there's actually less infrastructure and less work that needs to be done there. To me, for a project like that, it would also be, okay, this is a small project. I can do something that doesn't normally make sense for this project, but it's so low risk. And it's so simple that it lets me cut my teeth on it this first time on a two-page site, figure this out. And then when the big site comes along and you really want to do a, a static one, now I've learned it on the simple site and I can move it up. That's what we did this summer. We Our first Nux site was a nonprofit that actually the client was very tech forward and they specifically asked for a, a static site generator. Funny, yeah, it was a really cool to work with them. But yeah, so we're like, okay, great. We'll learn it on this project. 
project and then be able to, on the next project, do it really well. So, so I got to be honest, even though there's a lot of hype around the Jamstack, deploying a static site for most of the things that I do doesn't even register in terms of being a big gain for me mm-hmm. because I know I can just deploy a static cache via fast CGI cache super easy. Like I could just slap it on. Mm-hmm. The the idea of simplifying the, the mental model though, that is a huge gain. That if you're like, I'm doing this because I just want one thing to write this in. I'm like, that totally makes sense because there's a whole category of stuff that you just don't have to deal with. But then here's, here's a big thing that everyone runs into whenever they use any kind of tooling and you ran into it too, and I ran into the same thing a while ago. Both you and I jumped on doing some Gatsby stuff. Mm-hmm. And for there was a little Gatsby honeymoon, and, and now, <laughs> honestly, I view Gatsby as like a psycho ex-girlfriend. I don't know, what, what, what is your kind of take on that? I don't know if I've gone that far. I'm interested. Have you built yeah. any since? I haven't, no. <laughs> well, be, yeah, I haven't. I mean, part of that is I find Vue to be much nicer than React. I, I like. I don't like to write JSX all day. I'd rather be in something that looks and feels more like HTML, single file components are lovely. So Gatsby, it's interesting. I mean, they're trying to become this behemoth and there's a lot of cash influx there. Interesting to see where they go, but to me, it's been more Vue versus React. If I was looking to do React, I'd probably still be looking at Gatsby. Maybe next, though. I haven't looked at a comparison of the two. I think you might end up going with next if you did it. So, I mean, here's here's the thing. Like, the promise of the Jamstack and what a lot of people are moving towards, like, you know, building stuff on the web is super complicated, right? I mean, it just is. Whether you know it or not, you're using Webpack. I can almost guarantee it, you know, for the vast majority of things. I know if you're using Next, you're using it. If you're using Nuxt, you're using it. Whole, there's just tons and tons of complexity everywhere. And the promise of something like Gatsby was that it would <clears> simplify <throat> the complexity. It would make things easier for you. I have found that to just not be the case with Gatsby. From build times, which, yeah, I know they've got a build service now but not just from build times just from putting the site together just it seems overdone to me it seems over engineered to me is what it seems like nuxt from my experience seems less so it's actually kind of nice in terms of the way that you can set things up but any of these things and i think gatsby is a little bit on the extreme side of being and hopefully they're gonna dial it in and bring it back but any of these things where you're layering on top <clears> of this stuff at some point you're gonna have to get your hands dirty are you worried about that uh, what are you talking about like Webpack and not being able to maybe tweak something in there and having to do things the next way? Webpack, or you'll run into some edge case where it just doesn't handle what you need it to do properly. And you know what I mean? I mean, you know, and this is a, you could say this about anything. You could say this about absolutely anything that you're going to inherit whatever potential issues that are there. But is that a consideration or are you just getting so much out of it that you just like, it doesn't matter? Yeah, not having to touch Webpack to me is a feature, not a bug. You can can extend Next, out of the box webpack configuration if you must, but yeah. you really don't have to. In terms of fear of is there something that I want to do? Typically, that means there's just a nicety of something that's readily available in Twig in Craft that mm, yeah. would be there writing context, and instead I now need to make an XHR call or a fetch to grab it from an endpoint, or you can set up middleware and Nux to to do things like auth. No, I mean right now we've haven't found any issues that have really stumped us yet. Once in a while, it, because if you need to bring in some outside markup, we have like calculate on this site that we're using. So we have to bring in all this other markup and just inject it in. That was a little gross, but it would have been gross either way, I think. Yeah, I think that is going to be one of the biggest pain points if you're a craft developer and you're moving <clears throat> towards using Nuxt or Next or mm-hmm. any any of these things, really, is uh, all of the stuff that you're used to in uh, Twig from craft, that's just gone. You yeah, know? you can't just refer to the current user or the current cart. And then you start thinking, okay, am I, am I going to be flooding the back end with calls to see if they have a cart, if I need to fill out a shopping cart front end and 
it makes you think a lot more about all of that when things are, are mean that there's communication between the front end and back end for all that. There are other things too, in terms of not just what you're missing, because some of it's like just who moved my cheese, like it's just a different way of doing the same thing. But there is also the case where there's plugins maybe that offer functionality that you're used to not having to do certain things that if they don't support GraphQL properly, then you're you're kind of host. And, Retour, and, you know, Retour was an interesting one. So, okay, there you go. Handling redirects. So we the way we've set this site up, it's actually still running on a VPS out of Nginx mm-hmm. just as a static site. Yep. Uh, and the question became, oh, how do we handle redirects? We're not going to be doing Nginx 301s for all of these. Nope. This is just static. How the heck are we going to do it? What we ended up doing is in our Nginx setup, we proxy and we say, okay, go to the page that's on the static site. And if you can't find it, then proxy that back to craft and then Retor can jump in and do its thing and serve up the 301 if it exists. There's another way you can do it too. So, and I know people that have done this, that there's a way that you can have if a, it ends up that there's a missing route on the Nux side of things, mm-hmm. you can you can have it issue a, a GraphQL query to Retor and say, here's... That, that's if it's not static. There, there's no intelligence oh, going right, on. We're right, not right, running a you, server. We're just running HTML files. Right, yeah. right, right. You do it completely yeah. static. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the setups I'm talking about, people are doing it where it's running server side and they're doing partial, you know, it's it's static, but it also will execute stuff on the server. Yeah, you're right. You do need something running there in yeah. order to handle that logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. And and Tim is saying that there's a Tim is saying that auth is a big hole in craft and GraphQL. And I think this is sort of like it it kind of is what I'm talking about, though. So I was mentioning that if you rely on plugins to do certain things, there may be there may be gaps or there may be things missing. It's the same with craft. So craft wasn't designed originally to be a headless CMS. So they sort of bolted on GraphQL and there may be places. I mean, it works great. Like I've been using it for lots of stuff, but there may be places where it's just "Eh, it doesn't quite have this or doesn't have exactly where you used to and you just have to kind of deal with that right yeah i'd have to think a lot if if we had a site with a user login if we want you know to make that compatible with a static site generator that's going to take a bunch of work then i I might move it into a you know do a subdomain or something who knows yeah how about you what are you working on oh god (laughs) i'm I'm working on too many things. Well, I mean, one of the things I did recently that I spent not a whole lot of time on, but a little bit of time on was converting all my Docker images over from Ubuntu to Alpine. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I didn't do originally. So basically the way that this works is Docker has this idea of instead of one big VM, everything is in a container and you typically want to have one service in a container. So one container will be Nginx, another container will be a database, another container will be PHP, you know, and and they're all kind of separate. And what you typically do is you base these off of images from the canonical source. So the PHP foundation will put out a PHP image and Nginx will put out an Nginx image and whatever. And those are all based on different variants of Linux. And the fun thing is you don't care because each one is running in its own separate container. They, They could even run different variants of Linux if you wanted it to. You would miss out on some benefits in terms of caching and layering of the image. But still, initially, I did it just in Ubuntu because that's what I was familiar with. And I was doing some kind of kind of involved stuff that I didn't want to deal with things not working. Okay. I'm like, OK, worst case, the image is a little big. Like, who cares? Yeah. Storage is cheap. It's not a big deal. It's not like I'm constantly pushing these containers up to a service and spinning them up. It just really doesn't make that much of a difference. And what you mean um, there is in your doc file, you could just type in apt get, you know, zip or git or whatever it is. And, and that's freely available 
available because you're running a, a tiny little Ubuntu VM almost in that Docker container. Yeah, and also just the base images that they're based on has a certain amount of overhead. I think the, mm-hmm. the standard, even the slim <clears throat> Ubuntus are 100 megabytes. That's the base, and then yep. you go up from there. Whereas Alpine, I think it's it's ridiculously it's small. I think it's like 25K is like the smallest. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really embedded system small. So I, I, I did that. I did the work it took to, to convert my containers over to Alpine, which made them about uh, half the size, which mm-hmm. is kind of nice. Yep. The one th- there's one part that really annoys me, though. So as part of the Webpack build, I do image optimization via Sharp. So it will do things like it can use Moz JPEG to minimize the images, and it can also do CWebP to convert stuff over. So... I converted everything over to to use it and the the sharp things so like Moz JPEG mm-hmm. it's a long story but it can't use the pre-compiled version on Alpine. Same thing with CWebP. And the, the annoying part about that is, okay, when you first spin up the Docker container, then it has to compile it from source, which is annoying because it's slow. But once it's compiled, eh, you know, like what's the big deal? What's the big problem? The big problem is one of the other benefits of using Alpine is they have a way of installing virtual packages. So you can install stuff that's needed to build something. And then when you're done, uninstall all that junk so that your final image size is small. And normally you might be able to do this with CWebP or with Moz JPEG. The problem is that that build isn't done until NPM install time and until when it actually does the install. So you have to keep all the developer tools there. I still managed to make the container half as small as it normally was, but man, I was I was annoyed that I had to had to leave that in. <laughs> Switch to Alpine, they said. It'll be easy, they said. Well, I mean, I could have just not worried about it, but I really wanted to try and get it. So I really kind of went down the road of, of slimming it down. Realistically, I don't think it makes that much of a difference because the way it works is you pull these containers down and you build them once and then everything is layered on everything else and it's just not a big deal you know sure. but i was still trying to do it we have a question from ben in the chat are you orchestrating docker in production are you just using it for local dev right now so i am just using it for local dev but i have built the containers or actually reorganized the containers such that everything is layered on top of production containers so that it would be trivial for me to then deploy this to somewhere and serve it from there problem is i haven't seen any reason to if i started using something like a AWS Fargate, Mm -hmm. or if some other service provider came out with a way where you could spin up a Docker container on their hosting, Mm -hmm. then I certainly would. But like if I provision a server via Laravel Forge or whatever, what am I going to get out of then putting Docker on it and saying, okay, run all this stuff out of the the Docker container that's there? (sighs) Yeah, tie to your VPS maybe that if you ever did have to make any large changes, it's not like you need to rethink, oh gosh, what are all the things I've ever installed into this VPS? It's all yeah. tidy in a, in a Docker container, but yeah, I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and the, the big reason why I moved towards Docker was we had a requirement from a client that they wanted to convert their, their whole team of developers over to using something. And we didn't want to have to deal with environmental issues. We didn't want to have to deal with, we wanted something super simple. And actually using Docker is super easy because literally all you have to do is tell someone, type Docker Compose up and then go to this port and you're done. Literally, it's one of the easiest development environments to use, but it takes work to set it up, yeah, you know? quite a lot. Yeah, and Tim Tim is kind of saying what I was alluding to before is that the container size becomes a big <coughs> factor when you use it in production because that's what you're shipping around. That's what's moving. So for instance, when you do a, a deployment in a lot of these services that use Docker to serve things in production, what happens when you make a change is the old Docker container continues running and continues handling existing requests, mm-hmm. but the new, the whole Docker image is pushed and that is what 
handles new requests. So you're not actually just deploying the files that changed. You're deploying a whole new Docker image. And, yeah. and that's what he's saying, like the size starts to matter. Yeah. You know, I don't know. So that's one of the things that I, d- I did and I'm, I'm pretty much done with it. Well, done, done. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm as done <laughs> as done ever gets. But For it now. is, and it actually is faster to bring these things up too the first time because I guess because there's less data, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, I believe it. Speaking of which, did you move to Xdebug 3 and then have you looked at Ray? <laughs> no, I'm not using Xdebug 3. I know you were your early adopter and you were on there. It's nice. The API for setting up is much cleaner. And interestingly, if you did want to run a single container or run it on your local all the time, it runs with almost no overhead compared to Xdebug 2. Xdebug 2, especially if you had it set for auto start or whatever that setting was, yeah. it would slow it on every single PHP request, uh, sometimes unbearably. And that's uh, why I did the dual container thing. Yep. Yeah. Xdebug 3, you can actually kind of get away with keeping Xdebug there and lying and waiting in the wings. And then if you pass over with the extension or a cookie or whatever it is and get it up and running, then it comes in and we'll start looking for breakpoints. For anyone who hasn't used it, Xdebug is a really great tool for PHP debugging rather than maybe just doing dump and dies or craft dump in your twig. It actually lets you set a breakpoint at some point in your PHP code and in your twig code as of maybe like last year and say, hey, when you reach this code, stop and talk to my IDE. Typically PHP Storm, I think VS Code supports it. And it'll show you here are all the different variables that you have going on at this point and what they're set to and step, 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 line by line to see what's changing and maybe where something's happening that you didn't expect. And it's really a big step up above just simple dump and die debugging or just spilling the stuff onto the screen. Yeah, Nextbug 3 has been pretty nice. I've been using it for a couple months now. And my my understanding is I, I haven't measured the overhead, so I don't know how I, I'm taking your word for it that it's better. Under, and I'm sure it is better under Xdebug 3. But if there, even if there still is, even if it's a small amount of overhead, I still really like the idea of using the dual container approach mm-hmm. because literally 99% of the time, you don't care at all that you have Xdebug present. But you do care that it, you know, that the high mads up reloading pages and doing all that kind of fun stuff. So just real quick, the, for anyone who doesn't know, the way that it works is you have two containers running in Docker. Docker makes it really easy to do this. It's another reason why I love it is you can just spin up another container. So one container runs Xdebug and the other container has no Xdebug in there. And the requests normally go to the, the non Xdebug PHP container. But when you install this little Chrome or whatever browser you use extension, you can click a little button that says debug. And from that, it sets a cookie. And from the Nginx server that handles the request looks for that cookie. And if it's there, it routes it to the Xdebug container. So you get no overhead, but then when you need the debugging, it's there. And Luke from Pixel and Tonic said, I think we all should be using Xdebug a whole lot more than we are. If you're doing PHP work, right? If you're doing it, if you're not doing PHP, then you don't care about Xdebug at all. Other than maybe trying to debug someone else's problem or a problem you're having with Craft or Laravel or whatever it is you're you're using. But if you're doing PHP work, I really do think that Xdebug is the way to go. But yeah, there's this new thing called Ray. Apparently, some people disagree. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> yeah. a bunch of Laravel developers want to want a fancy dump and die, right? They like nice things. They do. Yeah, Ray looks like kind of a is it Mac? only or is it running cross-platform it must it is cross-platform yeah and essentially it's almost a a separate application a separate ui that you can use to 
dump to. That's what mm-hmm. I've seen from your PHP app, probably from Twig as well. I've been able to hit logging right out of Twig. So at the end of the day, you can almost do anything in Twig. Yeah, and it gives you kind of a nice UI to see what's going on, maybe without having to load up the craft debug bar, without having to run PHP Storm and switch between and pause your code. You can just get kind of an output in another window that shows you. I've been meaning to take a look at Ray, but I haven't yet. I was seeing someone, I think, just on Twitter today talk about hooking it onto Yee 2 so that anytime you throw a warning or an error or even info, you can have that spit out over to Ray. It looks pretty nifty. Yeah, I mean, it looks it looks nice. I still am of the opinion, and this is, you know, I'm probably just being crotchety or whatever, but I'm still of the opinion that the vast majority of the time I'm not using Xdebug. When I do actually have a problem, I want Xdebug. Like, I really, there's no substitute for being able to set a breakpoint, being able to step through code, a conditional breakpoint, being able to look back through the stack to see what was going on, you know? And it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> it's funny the way these things work. So a lot of things start in terms of building something simple because mm-hmm. what the existing thing is too complicated. But then inevitably people are just like, well, but I really wish it could do this. And what if it could do that? And then you end up building the thing yeah. that you were trying to replace. I don't know. Maybe they've got a mission statement and they're they're never going to go there on this. But I did um, I did talk to Rias, who is formerly from the craft community and now works for Spotsy yep. about what, what, you know, I was kind of like, well, you know, tell me, like, what's the deal? When would you want to be using something like this? And he, he said it was kind of like he he didn't like the performance penalty that you got from Xdebug, which I agree with. Like you and I are on the same page. Sure. Nobody wants that, which is yep. the whole reason why I did the, the dual <clears throat> container thing, right? And then he also said he wanted kind of a middle ground between just a, a, a dump and die and Xdebug. And maybe, I haven't used it, so I'm just going by what I, I looked at and what I've talked to people about. Maybe it hits that sweet spot. Maybe it is in there. And he actually made a Yi connector so you can use it with Yi if you want. Like you can yeah. just install it and start using it. Looks pretty. You can tell it's a Tailwind site. I have a bit money. It's a tailwind site. <laughs> what does that mean? How do you identify you a tailwind it, site? It's just nice and clean. It looks really good. Like it's not a, a, a negative at all for me. But it, I, I bet money it's a tailwind site because it's from the Laravel community. I'm sure it is. You know, the, the there's a lot of cross adoption in the stuff that they have there, right? Nope. Yeah, it's a tailwind site. I'm looking at the markup. No, and I, and I love tailwind. We use tailwind on everything. So we probably turned everyone off with the super nerdy stuff. But it's something I want to know now is is not really that nerdy. I mean, a little nerdy, but not super technical. But you you and I were talking when. The, the M1 Max were first released and I was just like, nope, I'm not getting one. Yep. It doesn't have enough memory. Yeah, okay, show off. It's so nice. <laughs> so here's the reason I said that. So I do a lot of stuff in PHP Storm and the way that you work matters too. So I tend to have lots of project windows open in PHP Storm and more importantly, lots of Chrome windows open. It just Any looks like a Chrome... Controversial YouTube videos, yeah. Yeah. No. And it looks like a just a Chrome explosion. Yeah, if any con- controversial ones I get from you, Patrick. You messed up my search history. <laughs> but I had a 32 gig MacBook Pro a while ago. Uh, it was the, the crappy 2018, 2017 model, whatever. Or the last of the, the butterflies. One, yeah. The last of the, but it was just garbage. Like it drove me insane. So I was going to replace it. And it, Apple had that trade-in thing. So as soon as they came out with the new ones, I was going to replace it. And then I talked to, to Brandon Kelly about it. I said, yeah, I'm going to order this 32 gig one. I, I don't need the 64 gig. And he's like, you probably do. It, that's probably what is slowing you down. And I went and I profiled it just to take a look at the page in 
license the page outs and, you know, see what was going on with VM. And he was right. It was RAM star. And that was a big problem. So when I upgraded from 32 to 64, man, everything got so much nicer. The fans rarely came on and there wasn't lag when I was doing some stuff. So it just happens to be the way that I work is very slovenly, apparently, because it's just like crap everywhere. And some of the apps that I use allocate lots of stuff. But you said, no, 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 I don't care about that stuff. The M1 is going to be perfect for me. How's it working out? Yeah, I mean, my calculus when it came out, and I waited first, I want to make sure that Docker was supported, the PHP Storm was supported. We'll talk about Docker in a minute because Docker is a little funny on it. It runs in quotes there. Yeah, I, I mean, the M1 itself, I love it. I got the MacBook Air. I didn't even go for the Pro. I don't want a fan in my computer. I'm sick of, you know, being upstairs watching a TV show with the wife and I turn on Docker and the fan just blares and we have to literally turn up the volume on the TV to hear the TV over the fan of my computer. This thing is fanless. It's really nice. Everything runs so quickly. It's just strange that when you close an app, as soon as you've hit the key for, you know, command Q, it, the app is closed. Things open and shut. Just everything is snappier to the point where it feels weird at first. You're not used to it being that fast. The only time I've ever gotten the CPU to really crank, it's not with Docker. It's not with Node or anything like that. It's with the Pokemon card game online, which I am a big fan of that game, but it it actually uses the Unity 3D engine, similar to, I don't know, maybe Fortnite or something, whatever else runs on the Unity engine. Um, lots so for of all stuff my, does. Lots of stuff. And so even though it's been compiled for the Apple Silicon, yeah, it just cranks the, it's basically running 3D graphics the whole time just to flip these little Pokemon cards over because that's how cool I am. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you've got the <laughs> M1 Mac so you can play Pokemon Go cards online is that <laughs> without my fan me? running yeah no without um, your fan so this I is mean, this I, was an important okay mm-hmm. yeah i'd love to see you try to write this off now that you've given the explanation for why you bought this it doesn't seem <laughs> well, like a business purchase Patrick. well no i mean the other part of my calculus not just the fan noise it was i bought the 2019 macbook pro refurbished so i already got a good deal on that and i was able to sell it for almost the price that i bought it for it took almost no depreciation on it and then was able to buy this for a whole lot less money the only thing that I found that's really funny, we have John Morton in the chat asking about Docker on it. I found that Docker runs, it compiles, all the containers come up, but there are some performance issues right now with it. There's some folks, Docker for Mac has always been a little bit funny because there is a large virtualization layer between the Mac and what's actually happening in Docker. It can't run. HyperKit. Yeah, and in here they don't even call it HyperKit. They just call it the virtualization layer. It may be a little bit different. It seems like oh, they're, right. do- they're still doing some kernel level stuff now to tweak it and try to get the performance up. So it's running, it's using ARM images, all that good stuff. But there is a bit of a bottleneck that I've seen, especially I think network communication on it. There's something funny going on there, but I'm sure that in a few weeks time, they'll have figured this out. So long-term, I wouldn't worry. I probably wouldn't want to run. If you're using Docker, I wouldn't want to run an M1 on a day-to-day right now. If you're doing maybe valet or something, everything I've written run on the command line has been faster on the M1 than it has been on this Intel Mac mini. So I think it depends. If you're using Docker, you may want to wait a little bit. Keep an eye. There are a few issues out around database speed on the M1 and Docker. Yeah, I, I mean, I love this computer and yeah, just not having a fan, it being super light. Of course, I just bought it and now they announced, I believe last night that they are coming up with new 16-inch and 14-inch MacBook Pros. No touch bar, which was also a reason to buy this. I hate the touch yeah. bar. Yeah. Touch bar look- is the biggest piece of garbage. Oh yeah. God. Yeah, so it, it looks like they're finally turning the page on that thing. There are a few other really nice things to go along with the new MacBook Pros. So now that I bought one, they're about to make it obsolete. So Yeah, but that's the way of things, right? I mean, you know when you're going into buying something, 
and you know that a faster, better version of it is coming, right? I mean, it's a given. But look, as someone that has been intimately involved in the Apple ecosystem for basically my entire life, I am done beta testing their (laughs) shit. I am more than happy to let you beta test their operating systems, let you beta test their hardware. Like, I'm more than happy to to let you do that. I can wait. I'll do it. You know me. I'm always on the the betas in the summer. And how's your son doing with uh, iOS 14? I know he's a little bit of a... I don't know, an artist when it comes to his home screen. Has he done anything cool? So we're talking about my son, Tyler. You've seen, you've shared this publicly on Twitter. Yeah. So this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing, but he, he teaches me stuff. He totally teaches me stuff that I didn't know. And I work on these things too many hours in the day. And he teaches me stuff that I just didn't know about. Like for instance, something he, he showed me the other day <clears> was uh, Chrome had some ability to group tabs together. And mm. You could right click and you could name tab groups and you can just, I'm like, oh really? I always just drag them from one to the other. I didn't know you could do it that way. He's doing some crazy stuff. He drives my wife nuts because he uses her computer sometimes and he'll replace all the icons with his own customized versions that, that look interesting. <laughs> yeah, I want to give that kid Widget Smith and see what he'll do. But I'm starting a collection fund now for bailing him out of jail when he gets caught hacking something <laughs> because... <laughs> I think I just, based on his personality, I mean, I just think it's going to happen. I'm pretty sure. So Sean is asking, well, how do you do this? So just if you have Chrome open, just right click on a tab and you'll see a little menu pop down that says new tab to the right, add tab to new group, move tab to another window. Like you can do all of this kind of stuff. It's pretty yeah, neat. Yeah, we'll throw it in the show notes. I, I grabbed a link to it. Yeah. I didn't even know. I had no idea that this stuff was even there. Yeah. Um, I just saw it on Twitter. Someone was like one of those, how has this been out here? And I have no idea. So I think a lot of people are finding out for the first time. So other stuff I'm working on. I did a a huge refactor to Webpack 5. And the most important thing I think I did there was not just figure out how to get everything working with Webpack 5. And I know your eyes are going to roll. He's like, oh, this Webpack 5 thing. I don't want everyone to deal with it. I'm just going to use my my Nux thing. I don't have to deal with your crap. That's fine. (laughs) That's fine. When something goes wrong, I'm going to remember it. I'm going to be like, uh, Oh, Patrick, decline, decline. <laughs> oh, it's weird. I don't know why Andrew's not taking my calls. But no, I think the, the biggest thing that I did that I think is really, really helpful is I simplified the way everything works. So I broke everything out into a separate config. And then the resulting, like the, the actual config is just smushing all of those together. So everything is a config and it's broken down by thing that it does. And it, you look at it from the outside and you're just, oh, this is complicated. But actually, once you understand the methodology, the way that it's done, it's actually pretty simple. Yeah, it looks um, more and componentized, it, I'd say, than it used to be. It's way more componentized and it's easier to work with too. Like the, the actual Webpack config ends up, like the production config ends up being just a, a really semantic reading of minimized CSS and a, a few other things that are in there. And this is something I'd wanted to do for a long time because I did the initial one and as opposed to having one big config, I had a common, I had a development and I had a production. Ends up being that that's not the best way to split them up. So sometimes you don't really figure out the best way to do stuff until you do it one way and you realize what isn't working because you still end up with these big sprawling configs and then the the mental model that you need to to deal with it is still pretty large. So that's why I ended up splitting it up that way. And I'm actually really, really happy with the way that came out. The one thing that I haven't done yet that I actually wanted to have out in early December but didn't is an article that details all this stuff. I was going to say, when's the next annotated uh, Webpack 5 config coming? Yeah, and it's going to be a much more 
digestible article too, right? Because a lot of it, I'm just going to be talking about the methodology in terms of breaking it up. And the idea being, you don't have to use this config. You can use pieces of it, but definitely think about taking away from it the modularization that was done here. You know, even for a super simple site, they all start out that way, but they never end up that way. So go into it with the idea of it having a methodology for modularizing so you can add to it without it turning into a house of cards that ends up falling over. So that is something that's big on my list. I mean, I, I'm hoping that the next time that you and I do one of these podcasts where we banter about stuff that I will have the article done and out because I really, I really did want it done and out before, but just a confluence of things has made uh, made that not happen. I do have some charts that I did up in Whimsical. What is Whimsical? <laughs> oh, Whimsical.com is amazing for, for drawing charts and graphs and that kind of stuff. It's incredible. And you can get away with just using the free one for a very long time if you're doing it, but it lets you generate mind maps and flow charts and all that kind of stuff. Is this like sales stuff or is this, what are you charting? Just to kind of publish GetWet config as a package, no code in config. Yeah, I know. Uh, so what Tim is, to, I'm, I'm going to answer your question real quick. So Tim is saying there's a get webpack config in the package and he's like, oh, no code in the in the config. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll publish it as a package. I'm not really sure. I might do that. Originally, I didn't want any kind of helpers or anything like that, but the end result of how clean it ended up making everything was just so worth it. So worth it. But Tim, I definitely will consider publishing that as a package. I don't, it doesn't really bother me to be honest that it's there in the actual config because I mean let's be honest anything named.js is code tim like <laughs> you may you may not think of it that way but when you have webpack.prod.js that is code <laughs> i'm sorry but it Just is drop it all into json files and put everything else into code and uh, yeah you have fun with that yeah no i, I understand what he's saying and so I, I will potentially consider it and do something with it. So I've been doing that. The other thing is I've been doing some big updates on my plugins. So I've been kind of distributing stuff all around. There's an SEOmatic Pro that's in the works. Oh, which is, is this gonna be... the first time it's been discussed? Uh, is this a, an exclusive? I think so. Wow. Yeah. Any any features you want to talk about? Anything you want to get the rumor mill going yeah. with? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not, I'm not trying to hype it up or anything, but so the, the major feature is analysis. So something that will analyze the web pages that are there and then also keep that updated over time. So you'll have a historical profile of all the pages that you want that will be in there. So it'd be kind of like some of the features that are provided by some of these services that may be overkill. Maybe Moz or SEMrush is overkill for you. You still want to give your clients some kind of a handle on exactly what is going on on the, yep. on the site. And it will enable them to analyze it and offer suggestions in terms of things you could do to improve the SEO on various pages. Hmm. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the big one. Another one is dynamic social images. Okay. So we've probably all seen it where some people have a blog post and we'll have the title of the blog post will be in the actual image that's in there. It lets you do that. And it actually just uses regular old twig template. So you just make a template that is the, the, the whatever is in there is what is going to be your social image and it will render it and then that will be used for the social sharing image. So if we had it on dev mode, for instance, we could have a custom image along with the, the title and the guest would be part of the actual image that is on there. And I got some other stuff on there too, like news site maps and some other just things that unless you're doing higher end stuff, you're just, you're not going to need. And then a, a image optimize, I'm doing some major updates on that. One 
one of the things that I've no, I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of, a lot of people have this penchant for just making macros that are just horrendous, you know, <laughs> and, and image transform macros are, are up there. Every time I see someone that pastes it in, I just look at it. And I'm like, oh my God. We have a uh, kind of a master component for images in our Nuxt projects that's pretty nice. And, but yeah, it's pretty fully featured. You can pass in all different options. And I guess in the twig world, they would have been a macro or some sort of an include. Well, and yeah, I mean, it depends on how you componentize it, but here's the real problem. The real problem is that most, most of the times when I've seen people utilizing these macros, the resulting images are wrong anyway. Yeah. Um, well, I know what you're well, I mean, say. image optimize it, it, it. You have to wrap your head around the, the way that it wants you to think about your fields and your folders and it, it's not a straight path always. Like the first time we used image optimize, we just kind of went in and did things and then later went back and say, oh gosh, we wish we had known it worked this way earlier on. We would have put things in folders and done that and set up folders ahead of time a little bit more differently. So I think part of it too is that it's a tool that you almost have to work with once or twice before you get really good with it. Yeah, and and, and that's fair. I mean, it is opinionated because it does need to solve the problem of when are you going to do these image transforms? <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. And it is a it is actually a difficult problem to solve because how do you I mean, how do you have it go through an entire site and know exactly what image transforms are used when and where? <laughs> I'm but, looking at a process that ran for a couple hours where it's just hitting everything with way too many transforms. And that's where it can go if, if you don't know ahead of time where you're going to be using these transforms and put them in the right yeah. folders. But one of the things when I say that the people using I'm not even talking about using image optimized, I'm talking about using their own macros, the resulting sure. images end up being wrong. Yeah. What I mean is, so responsive images are actually pretty difficult. It's It actually is pretty difficult to know how to do them correctly. And when I say correctly, I don't mean my way, Patrick. <laughs> I mean, from an objective point of view, when you analyze these things, is the image optimal for the, the size that it is displayed in? And is the image itself optimized? That's what correct means means to me. Okay. So when you run it through PageSpeed Insights or Lighthouse or Cloudinary's got a, a tool that does it, it will tell you this image could be smaller. This image could be more optimized or this image is too big for the, the size that it is fitting into. And that's what I consider to be wrong when that is done incorrectly. So, and it's fair enough that it is done wrong a lot because it's complicated, man. It is hard to wrap your head around it. A lot of times people will just make a whole bunch of images and then in sizes, they'll put 100 VW just because they've seen that somewhere. Yeah. And what that means is that the image is going to, it's going to look for an image that is sized as big as the browser window, yeah. which yeah. if your image is displayed two up, that's not what you want. Right? Right. You, right. you actually would want like 50 VW or whatever. So the way that you do it right, quote unquote, is you do it backwards where you make the placeholder and then you look at what is the actual size that this is displayed at and at what breakpoints does it change in terms of whether it's one up or two up or whatever. And you calculate all that and then you make your sizes based on that. You know, you kind of do that first because that's where the optimization matters is that this thing actually fits into the viewport where it should. So two things I'm doing for image optimize. One is that I'm adding a little sizes GUI in there. Mm -hmm. First of all, what is the width of this breakpoint? Maybe it's 1200 pixels. And then you can add in how many up is this image? Is it one up like a hero? Is it two up? Is it three up? What is it? And then what is the padding around all of the images? And then what is the padding between the images? And then it will automatically calculate for you what the optimal sizes should be for all this stuff. So you can lay it out. So you, you'll have a sizes for your 1200 pixel breakpoint, which 
it's maybe it's four up or thumbnails or something. And then you'll have sizes for one of the mobile sizes. Maybe it's one up and you can put whatever padding in there you want and it will do all of the calculations for you. So it will be exactly correct. And it will also recommend to you what size images you might want to create based on that. So it's actually a tool that even if you didn't use image optimize, it might be really useful just for yeah. like laying stuff out. You know, I was going to say, I mean, the only thing there is that you don't already always know what an image is going to be used for. It could be, you may not know every single different place. It may be used once as a homepage hero. It might be used once as a tall, small little square thumbnail and to try to get that coverage and then maybe have them across different volumes and folders and it, no, it no, gets but difficult. You can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that. So well, we're, Forget that you're using Image Optimize. Right. Even if you're doing it 100% custom on your own, each one of those things that you mentioned is a different source set. So anytime you've got an art direction that's different, it's a different source set. So what I would do in the, the case that you're talking about is I would make a separate field for whatever the, the thing is going to be in the in these other forms where it's displayed. Yeah, There's my just only, really no way around it. My only issue with Image Optimize has been that it wants to create them all at the time the image is saved and, and right. wants you to kind of imagine every single variation you're ever going to want and use them and assign fields to your asset layouts. And that can be tough. I actually like the way the craft does it natively where you do your transforms as need be. And then if the image doesn't exist, it does it at runtime and kind of creates it for you. Obviously, someone's hitting a penalty of having to wait for that image to be created at first, but I actually kind of like that. I find it really hard to plan out all of the different images that there can and may be used. And yeah, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack, I think. Well, it's funny though. I mean, the reason I originally wrote Image Optimize was I hated the way that craft well, did it <laughs> yeah because the problem is you really 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 don't want to be doing image transforms at page load time so whenever the client is oh yeah yeah right <laughs> there there's so many times i've heard about people that they've they've invalidated a cache or something like that and now every transform is gone and every page is pegging and then people are piling on and their server is falling like literally falling over you know yeah. so yeah i mean part of it is philosophical so if you you're okay with the trade-off that you're talking about, then sure, you know, don't, don't use the image optimizing or it would, it would kind of go against my, my opinion of how it should work, but I could add, I could add an option where it wouldn't generate it immediately. There's no, it uses craft transforms under the right, hood. So there's right. no reason why it couldn't just do that. It's explicitly going out of its way to do it because I think in my opinion, overall, it is way better to do the transforms ahead of time. I haven't run into the too many times the issue you're talking about in terms of not knowing how the images are going to be used because I'm usually working with comps from a designer where I can see exactly where and how all of these things are going to be used. So when I am specking out the, the back end, like I already know every size that the, the images are going to be in there and whatever. Another solution there is you can use Imagex. If you really just want to just kind of do free form or whatever, you can do that. Anyway, I don't want to get into too much. That's just a philosophical debate in terms of whether you want to use it or not. But the other cool thing that I'm adding is instead of these huge honk and macros, I'm adding where you can just do image tag okay. or you can just do picture tag and it will spit out the entire tag for you. There'll be a picture tag. It'll have the sources in there. It'll have WebP in there if you have it and it'll have the image in there and, and you're done. So for the 90% case, you're good to go. You can also pass in whether you want it to be lazy loaded or not. 
Mm -hmm. and you can pass in the methods. So one is native. And if you use native lazy loading, there is no JavaScript whatsoever. And you still get the little LQIP because it's smart enough to inline it. But there's no swap needed because it applies it as an inline style. Oh, interesting. Okay. So there's no JavaScript needed to do the, if you're okay with using the lazy loading. There is also a lazy sizes fallback mode where it uses native if it's there and then falls back and dynamically loads the lazy sizes if there's no if the browser doesn't support it. And then there's also just plain old lazy sizes where it just always uses lazy sizes and never uses the native stuff. But again, this is just one tag. And you can also pass in what placeholder image style you want, whether you want an image or you want a SVG or a silhouette, and it will just generate it. And then you can also pass in an array of attributes. So you can add to the picture tag, to the image tag, to the source set tag, anything you want in terms of classes and stuff. And it sort of is taking what was a big honking multi-page macro and distills it down into the best practices and just all behind the scenes. You don't have to do anything. You just do it and away you go. Nice. I'm thinking people are really going to like it the same way a lot. <laughs> there are a decent number of people that they started using Gatsby because they wanted Gatsby image. They wanted yeah. to be able to yeah. just say which, Gatsby image. Which was kind of tough to do in Gatsby and in craft to make all that happen. Right. Question in the chat, I think is a good John Moore was asking how to use Valet for craft local dev net or are you using craft Valet for craft? I haven't done too much local dev on my M1 MacBook Air yet. Right now, <laughs> you bought I've... it for Pokemon. <laughs> of course, you haven't done any development. I you catch them you all, bought man. it for Pokemon. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't done too much local dev on it. Uh, I'm kind of using it as an email and web browsing machine at this moment, but I, I do have a big monitor down here on, on the old Mac Mini. My hope is that I eventually will, but right now I'm just kind of waiting for Docker to get fast enough that it's not annoying. And Sean, there's a question for you, Andrew. How do you have time for client work with all of your plugin dev support, podcast, craft quest, betting on the Republic, all of that? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I forgot. We got to get into that. Um, I mean, the real answer is I don't have a ton of time. I'm not I'm not doing a ton of front end client. A lot of the work. So first of all, I consider the plugin development stuff that I do development and support. I consider that client work. OK. You know, it's, it just so happens that the people I'm working with are, are other developers. I do have some client work that I do. But a lot of it also is developer training stuff. So a lot of it is other developers that are like, hey, our company wants to switch over to using Webpack, help us optimize this, or we want to use Docker, what are some good strategies we can use to adopt it, or even company or agencies that have just picked up craft and they're interested in, you know, best practices of, of how to do that kind of stuff. I do some traditional, traditional, I don't know, whatever, client work where there's a, a website and, you know, here, build this kind of thing. I still do some of that, but I, I just don't do a ton of I'm not like Patrick, that Patrick is just, he's a freaking machine. He comes in, he's like one of those wrecking balls. He comes in, bashes everything down, and then it's on to, <laughs> on to the next one, right? No, no. Every project, I was thinking about this earlier because I knew you were going to comment on it. Yeah, every, every project is a combination of what's the deadline, what's the budget, what's the, the ask or the feature set they're trying to build for, and you you hope to make everyone happy and make sure you're, you know, at the end of the day, you're building a site that the client's going to be happy with and doesn't need to call you for every little change they need to make. And yeah, I mean, with an infinite timeline, you could build the perfect little gem of a website and you know an artisanal handmade website but sometimes yeah you, you know sometimes you're like okay i could rewrite this javascript to be a little bit but you know it's getting the job done it, it's pretty darn performant and you know you need to at some point call things done and yeah and and that's not yeah. a criticism by the way and because yeah. for a lot of times that's what the client wants Yep. A lot of clients, they that's they don't want the perfect the website. They've got their requirements. They want this done, and then that's that, and away yep. we go. Yep. You know, and there there are realities of uh, of time and space that are involved here. Yeah, yeah, but I was yeah, I'm mostly on client work these days. I have a 
a need for a client that I think I might try to turn to my first paid plugin, mm. connecting uh, craft commerce to a CRM. And it's one that I think no one's really doing yet, but the CRM is pretty popular. So that's something I'm working on. I'm hoping to get it to be something that, you know, it's work that you get paid for by the client, but maybe discounted a bit. And then it'll turn into something I keep the intellectual property for. That's the hope because I've done a whole bunch of plugins. They're just always private plugins. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have any... Uh, private shame. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, I, I, I don't see myself being in my studio 107 with the uh kind of living off of plug-in sales but uh, it'd be nice to be able to have some sort of income coming through that yeah i mean it, it really depends on what kind of work do you enjoy doing and you should start taking on the type of work that you enjoy doing if you like building plugins and and tools that are other developers use then then do that you know just like when i get to work and not have to answer emails all day yeah <sighs> Yeah, I, I can definitely understand that, you know, yeah. that and I know some people that this is literally half their day is either meetings or emails. And I'm yeah. just like that. That's just not me. You know? Yep. Yep. That's just not me. I, I think Brandon Kelly showed a screenshot and he was trying to show something else. But incidentally, it had his email client at the in the dock and it had 6,000 something unread or, or 9,000 unread emails or, I remember that. or something like that. And that's all that anyone could comment on. Like nobody cared about the thing he was actually Sometimes trying to show a screenshot. You just have to of. declare email bankruptcy. Just send yeah. out and say, I, I have to declare bankruptcy. Everything is archived. If you need me, email me right. again. And right. yeah, I've done that yeah. a few times. But that's just, you know, I think part of this is just being honest with yourself and knowing yourself. If you if you don't mind doing the email, if you don't mind doing meetings, then then do them. It's just not really it's not really my thing. Anything else today? We mentioned that you're you're fielding bets on the fall of the republic. Do we want to talk about that at all? <laughs> Dear God. We're recording this right. today on January 15th. Yeah, right. it's a tumultuous time in America. And Andrew is hoping to profit off of it. No. So this is not <laughs> the way I mean yes, but no. <laughs> So, all right, I'll I'll go into the the story here. I'll, 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 let me take a swig of water here. Hold on. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I'm going to see where you go with it. So, I'm going to give you a too long, didn't read on the reason. How did we end up here? So. I ran a software company for a long time. I decided that I wasn't happy managing people, decided to wind, wind the company down at the same time or around the same time I had developed an interest in poker. And through that, I had met a couple of guys that are deeply involved in the poker world or whatever. And one of them had a training website. His name was Bart Hansen. Still is Bart Hansen. He's still around. He had a, a poker training website and it kept on falling over. And the, the story of what was wrong with it was is epic anyway, but I'm not going to go into that. But it was a WordPress site <laughs> and it was a really badly done WordPress site. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. And he asked me, he said, well, hey, you fixed the problem for me. Can you fix the whole website for me? He had an issue with it falling over. And I'm just like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> like the, the the term I would use here would be nuke it from orbit. There's just, I'm just not going to, no, I, I won't do it. And I said, but, but if you wanted, I could rebuild it from scratch for you. I could build you a new one. And some people might be like, you're, why are you lying to them? Andrew, because I, I, I literally didn't know what a div was, like literally did not know what it was at the time. But I was just like, ah, you know, I've done development long enough. I'm sure I can figure it out. So anyway, I ended up doing it and ended up building the, the site for him. And through all this, you know, ended up knowing a bunch of people in the in the poker world. I since don't really don't really play that much anymore. I don't really have a whole lot of time for it. And also some parts of it just irritate me. <laughs> And, and obviously, during COVID-19, no one's going to do anything. But I think literally 
Last time I played poker was probably three or four years ago, something like that. But anyway, I know these guys in poker. And one of the things that I noticed that they were doing is they were they were taking bets on the presidential election, which is <laughs> OK. That's not that crazy, right? Sure. Because it may I mean, for a lay person or someone who's not involved in it, it may seem a little crazy. But if you're if you're in that kind of gambling world already, it's not crazy at all. Like something's happening. Of course, we're going to bet on it, you know. They were taking bets prior to the election turning out. But here's where it got crazy. There were people that after the result had been declared, were still betting money. Sure. Yeah. When I'm talking about after it had been certified in early November or whenever it was, that there were people that still wanted to wager money that Trump was going to win. And these guys are just like, they're like, of course, you know, of course we'll we'll take the bet. So they were offering people 10 to 1. So if you bet $100, you lose $100 if, if Biden wins. And if Trump ends up being inaugurated, you win $1,000. And at the time, the sports book, Books or whatever betting websites there are had the odds at 33 to 1. So literally, the, the people that decided to, to bet on this were just, they were doing it because they're true believers. Let's put it that way. So they, they really thought Trump was going to win. They have a different well, information diet than we do. Yeah. They have alternative whatever. <laughs> Alternative facts, yeah. Alternative whatever. (laughs) Again, this is after, this is not before where, you know, maybe you got your candidate and, you know, you like him, so you're going to bet on him or whatever. This is after it had been declared, after it was said and done, or in theory said and done. So they've been taking these bets for a while. And I actually had someone I knew locally from poker. He's a really nice guy. And he's he's actually, he's a teacher around here. I'm not going to get anything more into into that, but he's he's a teacher around here. And he wanted to bet with my friend Bart. He wanted to bet the bunch of money that, you know, that Trump was going to win. And Bart sent me a text and said, hey, will you vouch for this guy? Is this guy legit? And I, first of all, I had no idea anything about this person that has no name that I didn't just mention by accident. Um, (laughs) And I had no idea about what his leanings were or any of that, that kind of stuff. So I, I, I was a little shocked, not not shocked because of necessarily that he liked Trump, but shocked that he wanted to bet like he was because I had looked at the people that were betting with with Bart and uh, and and Dave. I looked at them as just complete suckers. Like, come on, you know, don't. And the idea here is that, you know, the electoral college has been counted, certified, yeah. et cetera. Right. But that doesn't matter. Something's going to happen. There will be a, a military coup or something. And, right. you know, Biden will not take office. That's and, the bet you've been making. Well, no, not that you're, so, you're you're betting against that. You're betting that. No, no, no. no that's so. I, at this point, I had not taken any bets. I, I'm not. I'm not really. A, it, this may sound weird to some people, but even though I was an avid poker player, I was not a gambler. I don't consider poker to be gambling. It's something that over time, if you know what you're doing, you're going to win. That's just the way it is. So I never did sports betting. I never did it prop betting. I never really did any of this stuff. It never really interested me. But you know, he wanted me to vouch for him so that Bart would take the bet, and I was just like, seriously? Like you? Okay, if you don't care about money, sure. Like it's fine, Bart. Bet with him, and then. I'm on Friday, January 8th, which is two days after the, the, the riots at the Capitol and after Trump had already gone on TV or YouTube or wherever it was and said that he was gonna, wasn't going to attend the inauguration, but he was going to ease transfer power over, I sent my friend a link to where David Tuckman, he's uh, one of the other poker pros that I know. He's also WSOP commentator. I sent him a link where Tuckman was just tweeting out. He's like, I, I almost feel bad about doing this, but I'm still taking action for anyone. <laughs> the inauguration 12 days away for anyone who still wants to bet on this. It's at 40 to one, 40 to one. So if you bet a hundred dollars, you'd win $4,000. Uh-huh. 
the way 40 to one works. And I, you know, I just looked at it and rolled my eyes, but I sent it to this guy locally that I know. I sent him the tweet because I, apparently he wants to bet. And I just thought it was kind of funny. So I sent it to him and he's like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, 40 to one. I would, I would definitely do that. Like, you know, can you, can you vouch for me? This is after I told him who, who Tuckman was and everything. Can you vouch for me and, and do all this kind of stuff? And then I went back and I talked to Tuckman. I'm like, if this guy talks to you, it's totally fine. You can do it. Everything is good. And then Tuckman was just like, well, why don't you just take the bet? Like, you know, him. you're, you're there locally. And I'm just like, uh, I'm not really interested. And then I thought about it for an hour or two. And I'm like, why don't I take this bet? You know what I mean? I'm like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> see and yeah i uh yeah i can't understand if anyone at this point on january 15th thinks that trump is going to be the next president like that but i mean this person has worst case scenario he you know if we have a military coup he's gonna have tens of thousands of dollars at this point so i mean he's maybe the smart one in all this right well okay so yeah let me get into that so initially he was gonna bet five hundred dollars yeah. okay five hundred dollars if he wins, means $20,000 out of my pocket if I lose, right. right? Okay, but this is on January 8th, okay? This is 12 days away from the election. Like, the way I'm thinking about it, it is more likely that a, a meteor is going to hit my house tomorrow, you know? And also, it's more likely that if it ends up happening, that somehow Biden is not sworn into office, it's a civil war. Like, it's, it literally is like a civil war Yeah, that but it's is a civil on. war and you know, what, $80,000? What do we have? Yeah, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. It's a, it, like civil war is going on and the, the American dollar will probably be worth absolutely nothing you know, internationally. And I just, I'm just like, well, we got bigger problems. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I bet the 500. I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, I realize it, it sounds crazy and it seems like I'm exposing myself to it a lot. But then we think about it. Is it really 40 to one that Trump could be the next president? No. I mean, not. the odds have got to be astronomically higher than that. Yeah. So whenever the odds are, are, are that good you're you're kind of being silly for not covering it you know yeah. so he initially bet 500 to win 20,000 then you and I were recording a podcast with Henri actually and during the podcast he's messaging me and he wants to add another 500 to it and I'm just like okay <laughs> you know so now he's betting a thousand dollars to win 40 yeah. okay then a couple of days later even after, and this is more stuff is coming out about Trump saying he's he's not he's resigning, and everybody you know calm down, and all, all that kind of stuff is happening. And they're actually even moving stuff out of the the White House. Like there are moving vans that are moving the stuff out. And he comes to me and he says that he knows some people that want to bet some more money on it. And I'm just like, are you? I'm like, okay, look, as long as you understand that this bet is between me and you, I don't have to deal with any of these other people. I don't have to know them. I don't have to collect money from them. Yeah. None of that stuff ends up happening. As long as you know that that's what's going on, I'll take it. So now it's 1500 to me for them to win 60000 And then they come back again, Patrick. Again, oh. like it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Now they want to bet $2,000 total. And I understand it sounds really risky. It sounds crazy. I'm exposed for 80 grand. But look, man, if someone came to you and said, I'll bet you at 40 to one that a meteor is going to hit your house tomorrow. Sure. You would take it. Like, yeah. why would you not take it? The problem it? is I'm not you know? giving personal information to the meteor now and the meteor is going to be angry or, or the, the per, you know. <laughs> Who are these people that you're you're giving your info to? And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it just yeah. They I already know him. I already know him. They, they may... These are not like it's not an anonymous person. Like this is somebody <laughs> yeah, that I already. Clearly, he's not anonymous. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. but. 
it, it's it's somebody that I already know. So yeah, I mean, if it was just on an online forum and someone sure. I didn't know, then yeah, I'm, I'm not doing that. I mean, that's what, you know, Bart and Dave are, are kind of doing that, but they're they're professionals. You know, I mean, yeah, they know what yeah. they're doing. This is what they do for a living. They, they Part of what they do is, you know, they when people are willing to back up the truck and give them money, they, they open the door. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to be uh, hopefully winning $2,000 in <laughs> five days. It's five days, right? Yeah. There we go. But is, I mean, I don't know. I, I see this as a teaching moment, Patrick. Like, I feel it is my obligation to take his money and it's a teaching lesson, you know? I, I don't feel like anyone who has gone that far is going to learn anything at this point. <laughs> it, 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 it will be a grudge and it will be every, uh, it, it's just, yeah. Anyway, so getting back to, you know, yeah, I found it kind of difficult to work the last couple of weeks. Uh, just stressed and anxious about mm. like what's going on. It's one of those things. I'm like, yeah. okay, I can just turn off the news and go in my blinders and just work. But, you know, as someone who has kids and is concerned about the future of the country, it's just really concerned to see where we are today, where people can't even agree on, on the same facts are on it's yeah it's, it's been a tough couple weeks but <laughs> God, i'm glad nevin. you're making 2k off of it and nevin nevin wants in nevin's ready to go yeah nevin nevin is like andrew want to split the <laughs> risk on me there's no way man i mean the risk yeah well okay theoretically there is a non-zero chance that i can lose the bet i don't think it's anywhere in the ballpark of 40 no. to 1 no it's a hundred thousand to one yeah or, or something astronomical. Yeah. And the details of the bet are buttoned down that my bet is that the next president is Joe Biden. Yeah, but the His problem bet, is, yeah, you're not thinking like the galaxy brain thinks. It's not going to be Joe Biden. It's going to be, they're going to, you know, have a, I don't know, a lizard man in Joe Biden's suit to, you know, okay. you, you, there's no way. <laughs> no, no. But I'm, I'm just trying to explain the terms of the bet. So the terms are that I win if Joe Biden is the next sworn in president of the United States. Yeah. He wins... If Donald Trump is the next sworn in president of the United States, if someone else is sworn in, then it's a push and, and nobody wins. And if he starts sending you pictures that like circle a mole on Joe Biden's neck and say he never had that mole, this is clearly a demon. I'm not that worried about it. Like, I don't I don't I'm, I don't think that now that we I don't brought think up I'm demons in skin concerned. suits, this is probably where we should cut this thing off. <laughs> well, anyway, so that's that's the other thing that I'm doing with my time. I, under, I understand what you're talking about. I definitely have spent a lot more time looking at the news and reading the news, as I think everyone does when there's something relevant to them is going on. So, yeah, I've gotten less done this week yeah. for sure. Yep. And I, I think that's pretty common. I've started to tune it out now. But yeah, I mean, at least I got two grand hopefully coming my way. Right There you go. But anyway, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you like this format, let us know. If you like the fact that you can watch us on video or if you just like that you can hear it live, let us know. And then separate from that, if you like the kind of, you know, this is kind of just us talking about stuff we're working on and our opinions on stuff, let us know. And yeah, Ben, if for some reason I lose the bet, SEOmatic is going <laughs> to, uh, the pricing is going to rise. That renewal pricing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that renewal is just going to go through the roof. <laughs> cool. Anyway, that's it. And we're still we're still broadcasting. What do you, do you like this format of doing stuff? It was fun. Yeah, it went a little funny at the end there. Um, I think everyone would agree. Um, 
the TLDR version of uh, your, your your betting world is uh, well. I may have to cut that on the audio. Really? Oh, well, a, a couple little parts of it, maybe. Man, you maybe just have his name. You, you, just, <laughs> you just have that Puritan censorship is deeply embedded in your. It is it's in your DNA. Deep in my bones, yeah. My um, goodness. One thing we may want to add in in post is something about doing any sort of. I mean, if we've got the chat, we almost don't need a listener mailbag type thing. Right. Um, but uh, no, I think this worked pretty well. I'm hoping for everyone who's watching online, um, they enjoyed it. Uh, yes, uh, given everything and where we were maybe a half hour beforehand, um, yeah. th- I think this went pretty well. Yeah, man. Other than the fact that I didn't record it. but you know. Well, yeah, that's, you know, always hit record. <laughs> All right. I'm hitting finish. Bye-bye.